Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Jonah here in the Press Row. Welcome to the Springsteen version of the Press Row. Well, the NHL deadline is finally behind us. And today's show, I speak with longtime post-media writer Michael Trakos, who unfortunately has been a recent victim of the media cuts in Canada. Are you like me and ever wondered what it's like to cover an NHL team during the NHL trade deadline? Michael's going to share some stories with us so you know exactly what that's like, even though he wasn't on the beat this year. Which former Maple Leafs were the best to deal with as a reporter? Michael shares that and some other hilarious stories in this episode of In the Press Row. Welcome back. In the Press Row, Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. A uh, early-ish Saturday morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, the, uh, the fog of the non-NHL trade deadline has passed. I think, as predicted, the, uh, the least eventful actual deadline passing ever. The, uh, the theme of the day, apparently, the theme of the week is Bruce Springsteen. Happy to report that I was at the show. Perhaps we'll get into that later. Very excited to have uh, an awesome guest with us this morning. Someone who I've followed and admired for a long time. He is the former uh, Maple Leaf hockey, tennis, boxing, multi-sport columnist, beat writer for Post Media. He is Michael Trakos. Michael, how are you? Hey, Jonah. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And it's awesome that you're at that Bruce Springsteen concert. <laughs> That's the one guy I haven't seen. And I've seen a lot of, I've, I've gone through my whole checklist of acts I wanted to see. And Bruce is up there. Now, let me ask you, there's like two divisions on Bruce Springsteen's fans. There's the guys that like Born in the USA album and think that's his best work. And there's some people who think that's his worst work. I'm in the camp of, I'll listen to that album all day long. So I'm 50. And that's kind of when I really got introduced to him. So that's what I know. Similarly, like your point. right. So similarly, like I didn't really drink coffee until mm-hmm. I started drinking Starbucks. So Starbucks was my entry to coffee. And a lot of people don't drink Starbucks because they hate it because it tastes burnt. So okay. if that's if that's how you found something and that's how you learn to love it, that's what you know. Um, I'll say that I sat through this through the concert. He played just shy of three hours. A good third of the songs that he played, I had never heard before. Yeah. But it was incredible. Like the guy's 74 years old. And from the minute the lights went down and then came up to the end, the guy doesn't stop. Like even the, the stupid encores that everybody like puts on this ridiculous. I need to hear the crowd cheering so I can come back out, even though everybody knows I'm coming back. That lasts a second for him. Like the lights go down, he turns around, they come right back. He turns back on, except for him, they stay on. Like he stays lit for those um, three hours and he just keeps playing. He just keeps playing. Um, so I like born in the USA. He did not play the one song. 
Um, he did not play that song. The only disappointment to me is he did not play the song The River, which happens to be my favorite song of his. Yeah, it's a good one. I I like all the songs but Born in the USA off that album. <laughs> he didn't, so he didn't like, play give that me Dancing song. in the Dark, Give Me Glory Days, Give Me Bobby Jean, Cover Me. Just, Love that stuff. You know what's interesting? I um, We saw Dave Matthews earlier in... Uh, saw Dave Matthews earlier this year here at Climate Pledge. Mm-hmm. Didn't really talk very much to the crowd. We saw him in Toronto in the summer at Budweiser stage where he talked a lot to the crowd. I like when artists do. Um, I saw the Grateful Here and Dead. There. Well, overly is too much, but saw the Grateful Dead at, at Colorado Boulder last summer. They didn't oh, say wow. a word, did not say a word. Like, did not say hello, Boulder. Good night, Boulder. Thank you. Like, not a word. Um, Springsteen's songs are all speaking to the crowd, but he really didn't say very much either, except at the end of the night, thank you very much for coming, like, love playing to you. Um, right. I thought that was interesting. But I'll tell you what, like, to me, I was sitting, what, the equivalent of center ice, and I was probably 15, 20 rows up, and they've got this area called the pit, which is the most expensive part of the stadium. It's, it's uh, general admission, but it's the most expensive seat in the house on the floor. And right. you could clearly see six or seven uh, young gentlemen, which was very unusual to see at this show, any, anybody under 30, all dressed very similarly, uh, who happened to be proud members of your Toronto Maple Leafs standing there. Um, and it was just awesome watching them through the show because there's young guys uh, led by Willie Nylander dancing from the literally the minute the show started till well after the show ended and i took a picture of them because they were really having a good time and i i was interested because they a it was just six of them and i'd heard the whole team was there and they weren't together which i found interesting because i'm an idiot and odd things interest me um but it was a group of them mostly europeans and and they were really they look like a bunch of fraternity brothers arms around each other dancing having a great time the whole night and then of course the next morning three of the group got traded last hurrah man and i posted Isn't- a i posted a picture of them on twitter and i actually genuinely felt badly for these guys like it must have been really shitty to have that be the last hurrah i did i felt badly for them it's, it, I'm still amazed at how much turnover happened with that team. Like I knew, I knew changes were going to happen. And I thought, you know, maybe one forward, two forwards and a defenseman. Honestly, after they made the O'Reilly Achari uh, trades and they brought those guys in, I was thinking, okay, yeah, there's going to be a Luke Shen type. And I kept saying Luke Shen type thinking it's either going to be Shen or someone of that nature, whether it's Gavrikov or, I kept hearing Radko Gudis might, if Florida was ever going to entertain that, but someone of that ilk or, you know, some guy under the radar that plays a meat and potatoes game. I, I'm still shocked at how much roster turnover um, occurred when we're talking about literally like less than two months before the start of the playoffs. It's, it, it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, I know there's time to make it all fit. And you're talking about guys who are, you're painting around the edges. So you're not talking about, 
like six or seven Ryan O'Reilly's just enter the team, but it's, it's, it'll be interesting the, the whole East loaded up in a way that I didn't see happening. And now you're looking at it going, geez, a lot of those teams are going to be really disappointed in a couple months here. Well, that so. that's the incredible thing to me is that the rules haven't changed. And at the end of the first round, there's going to be a, a whack of disappointed teams and GMs mm-hmm. who just spent a lot of drop capital and, and prospect capital to hear that really annoying sound from the price is right when you go tilt, right? Like, yeah. Um, but if you're a fan, you probably uh, like you, you don't have any gripes now. Zero. No. It's if you're a fan of the Leafs, the Rangers, the Bruins, um, the Lightning, the, the Hurricanes, like all of them are happy today. As they should or be. should be happy. Yeah. 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 I, I, I totally get it. Like even the sentence, like I think the, the, they, the fact that, that they went for it and got a guy that is not just a rental player and seems to actually like Ottawa. Like I remember writing about him when he was, and we're talking about Jacob Chikrin here. Um, when he was a, a world junior uh, or in that mix, I remember uh, talking to him about his connections to Ottawa and, so you see the pictures of him and his grand granddad who I believe did he play for the Sens or he's got he just lives in Ottawa or something like that. Area. Yeah, he, he still lives there. And uh I believe as a kid he used to go there in the summers and spend summers with his grandparents and things like that. So a yeah, good story for them. Like obviously if they don't make the playoffs, there's gonna be disappointment, but I don't think there's gonna be as much disappointment. Now. Well, and, they're not, him, and they're going to miss the playoffs too. Let's be honest. Well, they got him in the Black Friday sale, right? Like we've heard, <laughs> we've heard for so long what the cost is going to be, and all of a sudden, you got to believe that ninety nine point nine percent of the hockey world out there looked at what they paid and said, "What? That's it?" Yeah, the best deal was probably a month ago for right. Chikrin. Yeah, or right after he came back from that injury. So uh, what else? So unfortunately, uh, you are no longer writing. We don't get to uh, enjoy your work. Hopefully, that is short-lived. Yeah. Um, tell we're going to work backwards here. So tell me, like, if this had been a normal time, what's it like being on the road with the team as the deadline is gone? Like, this was I got to see a couple of the guys from afar. Mm-hmm. what's it like working the deadline while the team is on the road? What is a beat writer trying to do? Cause there's two stories, right? Like there's the game and then there's mm-hmm. whatever the hell Kyle's doing while holding two cell phones, you know, popping in every once in a while, like help us understand what that looks like. Yeah. I've been on both sides of it. Like I remember covering the Leafs in the, I'll call it the Kessel era or the Brian Burke era where they were going into the deadline as sellers. And it's, it's a different mood because you have some players who uh, know they're going to get moved. Um, and some players are probably looking forward to getting moved because it means that you know, they're going from a, a, a team that's going nowhere um, and the season's going to be done to one where you're, you're going to be making a push. And 
I think that's a different element because it's almost like, oh, you're escaping a bad situation. Uh, and then I've been on the other side where to get something, you're going to have to give up something. And it, it almost feels like, well, definitely, like you mentioned, uh, going to the Bruce Springsteen concert and seeing guys like Rasmus Sandin um, and the other Swedes and some of the guys that got moved. Like those guys must have been completely blindsided because we kept hearing if the Leafs are going to get anything at the deadline, they're probably going to have to give up a prospect, picks. And you kept hearing Matthew Nyes, maybe it's going to be Nick Robertson um, and, and like the Joey Andersons who really aren't part of the team. And if you're Joey Anderson, you're probably going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get playing time now. Uh, maybe I'm not going to bounce up and down between the minors and the, and the big leagues, but um, for guys like Rasmus Sandin to go from Toronto to uh, to Washington, it's, it's a different scenario. Like, fine, he's going to – he'll be fine in Washington, but he's leaving a team where he thought, you know, we could possibly win a cup this year, and he's not going to win it. So from my perspective, my job, being on the road with a team, like, and, I, and I've also been on the road with the, the Ottawa Senators. This was in the 2019 20- season uh for whatever reason i think bruce garriock who was uh who's the ottawa's beat writer had to stick around because he was doing tsn work and i think he was doing panel work and they said can you just jump on the road with the sends they're, they're going to be making deals and that was the year where they traded uh pajot um i don't think bobby ryan got moved that year but there was a couple other names and um it, it's great because every player is sort of coming to you during that time. And, and you forget that they don't hear anything. Like, I don't know what the general fan thinks. If the, they think that the, the players are privy to everything because they're talking to agents, because they're in the room. Maybe they think that they're talking to the GM on a regular basis. But th- they have less information than we do. So a really? lot of times you're in the dress. Yeah, a lot of times you're in the dressing room and you're just you know, you don't have your, your recorder out and you're just shooting, uh, shooting around with the guys and you're like, Hey, how's it going? What'd you guys get up to last night? Oh, we went to the Bruce Springsteen concert. A lot of times they're asking, especially around deadline time, what are you hearing? Um, are, are you hearing that we're going to be making a deal? Like what's the latest? Because they know we're talking to agents. They know we're talking to other, um, team personnel. So we're almost feeding them information before we're feeding it to the reader. And that's when you get a sense as to who wants to go out of the room and who's really worried because the guys who are asking, Hey, what are you hearing? Are generally guys who are like, are you hearing that I'm going to be out? Or are you hearing that I'm going to go from being a number three defenseman to further down on the depth chart? Or am I going to be up in the press box next week? Because we just got a bunch of guys that are pushing me down in the pecking order. So that, that can be really interesting. And you, you kind of get a feel for, do they want to make additions? And a lot of times teams or players are just so focused and they think this is the team we've got. We don't need to bring in another guy. I think a lot of fans are like, oh yeah, the Leafs are so happy that they changed things over. Don't be so surprised. Like, especially when you get to where the Leafs are this year and what are they, the second best team in their division, one of the best teams in the NHL based purely on wins and losses and points, they're not thinking we needed to get rid of Rasmus Sandin. Hey, we needed to get that Pierre Engvall out of here and bring in this guy, that guy. Sure, they might be happy that they're, 
they've got Ryan O'Reilly, but when they're looking around and saying, okay, we had Sandine, now we've got Gustafson. Joe Fan might say that's a hey, Gustafson, he provides something that Sandine couldn't. You talk to Nylander, and he's probably like, I'm a big believer in my friend here. I've seen what he can do all season. I don't know this guy from just from the time that we play against him. So it's a completely different perspective. And it's the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't, so to speak. But yeah, the, I, I bet you a lot of guys and are, are are taking that kind of trade. A lot of these trades sort of n- not so much as to, hey, we just got better, but I don't know if we got better. And there might be the question kind of hanging over their heads. It's funny. I heard um, Boost Boudreau on Overdrive yesterday. And he was saying something somewhat similar that I hadn't really thought about. I think about this a lot, actually, but I hadn't thought about it in this in this way. A lot of times, and you know this because I think you've written it, uh, and the Leafs are really guilty of it. And and like the name Jason Blake immediately comes to my mind where a guy plays a role on a team, does exceptionally well in a role, and then another team signs them as a free agent and doesn't keep them in that role, but envisions them in a greater role, and then they fail. And Boudreau is saying that the problem with making these moves this late at the deadline is that it upsets the apple cart on the existing team. So an example he gave was Shen. And I, and, I, and he said, I don't think this is going to be a problem because Shen has played this role before with Tampa Bay when they won the Cups. But in Vancouver, he's been eating 20-plus minutes a night, and he's been a leader. He's clearly not going to be in that role here. The potential right. is he could come to Toronto and be like, this isn't what I, you know, I can't excel. I can't play at that level. I don't want to be, and he's not actively saying I don't want to do it, but mentally the body doesn't do what the brain isn't really geeked up to be doing. And you just wonder the same thing with certain guys that were used to playing a certain role. A third liner now becomes a fourth liner, right? Mm-hmm. And we it's all like like, almost like you're going to team Canada. Right. And you're like, and that's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I, I was talking to some colleagues cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not writing these days, but I'm still, <laughs> it's hard to turn it off right and as soon as they got ryan o'reilly i said you know the perfect spot for him it's not with marner it's not with Tavares. it's not with matthews or uh the top six i said the perfect spot for him is right down the middle as your number three center now is ryan o'reilly who's not a number three center in st louis is he going to come there and did they acquire him to be a number three center and right. you know lo and behold they immediately throw him with the the top dogs but I'm with you. In in my mind, they didn't need another guy to play in their top six. Like that's just that's a luxury you don't need right now. What they need is a a solid number three line, so that when they're playing the Bruins or they're playing the Lightning, and the Matthews line is getting checked to death, and the Marner line is also getting checked to death, and all you're hoping for is just a wash, and there's no goals scored, but no goals scored against. Well, that's when you're Ryan O'Reilly and your third line starts doing some damage or you throw the Ryan O'Reilly line out against the Bergeron line. And you say, all you have to do is just shut these guys down and make sure you don't get scored on. And then you let the Matthews line go to work on the number three line for Boston. But I'm with you. Um, And I think that's where leadership sort of takes, 
um, or, or it means a lot is if you've got a strong team, like case in point, remember when Phil Kessel went to Pittsburgh, Kessel was the top dog in Toronto. When he goes to Pittsburgh, what is he? HBK line, number three line, doesn't play with Crosby, doesn't play with Malkin, literally getting third line minutes and some power play time and was arguably their MVP in the playoffs. Doesn't win the cons, but a lot of people had them on their ballot. And it, it's, it's finding that role for, it's, it's really like identifying what you need. And um, again, with Shen, I think he's smart enough where it's not going to be a problem, but is it going to be, is it going to be a problem with, like I said, o- O'Reilly is going to be a problem with uh, Gustafson um, and, and guys of that. Ilk. And it, it's different when you're going to a team that's maybe one cups, but with Toronto, they have nothing to lean back on or fall back on. Like when you look at Tampa and them getting Corey Perry, he made no illusions as to, Hey, I'm still a, a heart trophy winner. I'm still that guy who can, you know, lead the league in scoring. No, he's, he knows on this team, my biggest value is to be a guy that gets under the skin of the other team, provide some offense as a bonus. And you know, just doesn't get scored on when I'm on the ice. And if that's a fourth line role, that's a fourth line role. Like it's, it's a mindset. And that's the thing I, I, I question when you lose Jason Spezza last year and you've got a leadership group that is still very young, green, inexperienced, whatever you want to call it. Really the only guy that I think can really take hold of that room is a Mark Giordano who's been there, done that, and logged the, the amount of games. I don't know if Tavares is that guy that speaks up. Um, I think Tav- really is the guy that did that last year um, was Spezza in the year before. And if you don't have that guy in the room to kind of really say, listen, guys, this is what we're doing. Everyone better fall in line. Well, then you're relying on a coach to do that. And again, I don't know if you watch that behind the scenes uh series on Sheldon Keith, but he's a lot of times still going to his top players and his top earners and asking them, what should I do? Or what can I do where it's not going to upset the apple cart? Yeah. So one, to be clear, I want to make sure that Boudreaux wasn't suggesting that Shen was going to be upset. He, he was using it as an example of someone who could, totally. be. he was saying he won't be given his experience. Don't, don't you think if, to me, and I'm an idiot, I, I know nothing. Um, don't you think the additions that they've made were specifically to address that they brought in O'Reilly, they brought in Shen, they brought in guys that have that oomph that have that, they have Stanley cups, they have presence to help Giordano to, 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 to lift the presence in the room. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Isn't that a weird thing though? You you go to the trade deadline, you're acquiring guys to be leaders. (laughs) You're asking a fan, isn't it a weird thing that guys who are making multi-million dollars need to be motivated? Yeah, of course I think it's a weird thing. <laughs> that that if if that was the case or were the case, like I get it. Like it always helps to have experience, especially when things are going wrong, and you hope that O'Reilly will stand up and talk. I I've never like, I've never heard of a guy coming into a team this late in the season and thinking it's gonna he's gonna be comfortable enough. And you you've got a guy if O'Reilly's that guy, then sure, he's got a set on him that's like bigger than we thought. But generally, the new guys are just there, put their head down, go to work, and lead by example. Um, 
and, and sometimes that is your, your best form of leadership. But uh, like I said, it, it, it'd be interesting. Like I, Toronto's a different scenario because everyone knows how long it's been since they won a cup. So there might be some guys thinking, hey, I just want to be part of that team because I'll be a legend forever. And he'll, if Riley wins in Toronto, that'll trump winning in St. Louis where they never won um, and where he was, you know, the top dog, uh, won the Selkie that year, won the Smythe that year, was you know, the best player on both ends of the ice. He wins in Toronto as a bit player. It, it, his whole career that that's that's the first thing that gets mentioned i think not the so i think a lot of people maybe coming to toronto that's going to be in their mind is whatever it takes whatever you need but we'll see but don't you it, think it's such a gamble don't you think part of it is we've watched this you as you professionally the rest of us as fans they go into the playoffs they're up a game or they're tied and it's a it's a must win game in the playoffs and it's going into the third period and you just know that they're in the locker room and they've had a bad period and there's chicken littles in the room going we're losing we're losing we're losing like you just know and they need someone either verbally as apparently Spezza did to knock that off or somebody to pick the team up on their shoulders on the bench and just deliver I mean, it seems to me like that's what they went out there to get was either the calming presence, the the Rudy talk or somebody or somebody's to be a more positive influence to try and get it done so that when when trouble happens, there's experience to say, hey, relax, like we won X number of games in the regular seasons. We are a good team. You know, don't let the butt clinching get too difficult. Like, let's we can do yeah. this. Just I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I also saw it as Kyle literally telling the players, like, out of my hands, I've literally done everything I can do. The four do. of you. This is on the four yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to complain that we don't have this, that, or the other thing, look around you. We've given you every tool we can give you. It's kind of like when they, whenever we talk uh, to the Leafs management about um, in, the, in the preseason, it's always – Look at the facility here. Yes. Look at the trainers we have. Look yep. at the amount of staff. They have like three skating coaches on staff, skills coaches, nutritionists, everything, everything we've provided for you. Now just go out and do it. And it feels like that's what management is saying to the team is that you wanted leadership. People keep saying this team's not tough enough. There's no grit. Um, it's all analytics based. It's all skill and speed. Okay. You wanted your, your your tough guys okay we got that you wanted your leadership yeah we got that we needed a guy just to win a face off in the third period okay here he is what else do you need okay now it's up to you guys to do that and so and it's more almost like a mindset i I think the trade was almost those trades was just pointed at like the, the core four saying it's now up to you if i get fired it's you guys got me fired because i i did all the work and you know, good on Kyle because he could have easily have said, you know what, I believe in this team. Um, this team is still a, re- a regular season dynamo. It keeps going up against teams that end up going to the St- Stanley Cup final or winning the Cup final. And you look over the years, whether it's Tampa, Montreal, Boston, 
the teams that Toronto loses to are not like out in the, the following round. They, they tend to go all the way. So you could still make that kind of connect the dots saying, okay, well, have they won game seven? Maybe they win a cup here. Or maybe they go deep. It, it's not that far fetched. At the same time, he, he was still saying like, yeah, uh, I know what's around the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, this is on, this is a team on paper that you would have to, including your top five of legit Stanley cup contenders. And I know there's question marks around the goaltending and you know, this, there's going to be, I think there's question marks around Boston's goaltending, to be honest. I, I, aside from New York and Tampa, I have question marks about every team's goaltending because goaltending is so fickle. Um, it's, you can have a Darcy Kemper that just gets hot in the playoffs and is um, good enough to win a cup, or you can have a, Matt Murray that just gets hot for several weeks and wins a cup or, or you could have a Vasilevsky who's just always outstanding and is the best goalie in the league, but um, it's still a fickle position. And even last year, do you remember how bad Vasilevsky was in those first six games? Like Campbell uh, literally outplayed him in games one through six. And then in game seven, Campbell allows two goals. Vasilevsky allows one and you're going, okay, well there's the series there. So, (laughs) It's, it's still it's still going to be one of those ones where if Toronto loses, I, I know, and if I was writing it, I, I'd say, yeah, you got to can't keep rolling back this core. But at the same time, man, I don't I don't remember an era where the division Toronto was playing in, or even the division in the NHL was this tough. Where you're going, whether it's Boston, whether it's Tampa, whether it's Toronto, or you know, last year Florida any of those teams could have won a Stanley cup with the, the roster they had constructed. Um, unfortunately only one team wins. And you know, if you're a fan of that team that goes out early, it's, it's a tough thing to swallow. So you've been doing this a long time. Um, I don't know when you wrote your LinkedIn profile, but it says more than 18 years. So you've covered yourself, but you've been doing this a long time. You've 2004 had- was my yeah. first hockey game that I wrote for the, for post media. So who who was the GM and coach back then? Do you remember? Uh, so Quinn was the coach, and is that the Mike Smith era? I, I, I th- no, it was uh, JFJ. Was oh, God. I, I think he had just taken over when like my first. So my first proper year, like that, that was when I was just interning and yeah. just like writing on everything and whatever they send me at. But my first year was right after the lockout. That's when I. They said, okay, this is your beat, um, own it, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. That that was the first year of JFJ. So they, they bring in Eric Lindros. They bring in Jason Allison. They bring in Jeff O'Neill. And for a young guy who was cutting his teeth in the business, it, it was an amazing room. Tidomi was there. Travis Green was there. Darcy Tucker. There were some great personalities. And that, that was back in the era where I had all those guys' numbers on my cell phone where after the game you'd get them in the room, but then you could also call them later on and talk to them about what you had written and just like shoot the shit and say, Hey, what did you really think? And real relationship building. The job has really moved away from that. And I think people don't quite understand how much it's moved away from being able to talk to a guy anytime on the phone and, have numbers of every player. It might work that way in certain smaller markets. I imagine the guys in Ottawa, and I know this in Nashville, they have a different relationship with the players and the staff 
than we do in Toronto. Um, it's, I want to say it's cozy, but it's in Toronto, there's still that there's a huge barrier between reporters and especially after COVID and the players. Um, so in those first years, it, it, it was amazing because you had a lot of guys who knew they were on their last legs and are coming to Toronto. So just to kind of end things off and kind of live out a childhood dream of, you know, putting on that Jersey. And they were happy to talk also because of that. It's different when you get a Mark Giordano in the room, who's spent that long in the league and knows this is his final years. He looks around with a different sort of appreciation than the guy who's in his second year thinking he's going to play hockey for 20 years and is still laser focused on that. And it doesn't really appreciate what's in front of him. Yeah. If, uh, if you haven't seen it or you haven't heard it uh, and, and your love of hockey and your, or you're not feeling the same way that you used to feel about the game or players, listen to um, the 32 thoughts interview with Giordano, Elliot and, mm. and Jeff Merrick. It's fantastic. Uh, it's everything that you just said. It, it really is a must listen to. And I really wish that Hockey Night in Canada would use those interviews as a full feature during the intermission. Um, why, why? I know it sounds like a stupid question, but why has that relationship changed so dramatically? Is it mistrust? I just don't think it's as necessary. There's probably a, there's probably so many different reasons. Part of it probably goes to mistrust. Part of it goes to there's so many different ways for them to get across their message. Um, they've gotten better at controlling the message and um, being in charge of it. Um, it. It used to just be the same five guys in the room, and there wasn't as much in the room either. Like I remember when I first started, it would be so the Post, the Sun, the Globe and Mail, and the Star. CP would be there every every now and then, and you'd have Sportsnet and TSN, and then Howard Berger was the, the fan. And then it grew from that to now you've got some guys working for blogs, you've got more radio, um, you've got a, a, a rotating cast of reporters who parachute in one day or not there for another two weeks. So the familiarity has changed. And, and that's why I think when you've got a smaller team and I'll, I'll use Nashville as an example where the guy covering hockey, well, now they don't have anyone, but even back in the day, like the guy covering hockey, wasn't their top reporter. He was number four in the pecking order probably because, you know, football, baseball, college sports were taking precedent. And he's probably writing just a little blurb. And those guys were probably happy to talk so that they could get their word out or, maybe they didn't think that whatever they said was going to be front page news. So they didn't even care really. And it wasn't that kind of fear, but yeah, it, I don't, I don't know when it changed, but for me, I guess it was probably when a lot of the old dogs and like Jeff O'Neill was just great in terms of the, he would be a go-to for, for most of us where once he has finished his career finished, we knew he was going the other side, whether it was TV radio or whatever, you could just see it. And, some guys have that personality and wasn't afraid to say what he wanted to say, but now there's a fear. And I don't know, talking to some agents, it sounds like there's more media prep going on. Um, 
it's just like everything. It just became more of a business than just the kind of like a cottage industry uh, kind of feel to it or mom and pop shop feel to it. It's unfortunate because I would think, and that's unfortunate. Um, I would, I would think that uh, with, with more transience, if you will, in the locker room that we would see players trying to align with those more familiar faces on a regular basis. And at the same time in markets like Nashville that you're calling out, I don't know, call me crazy, but players would want some type of story and some type of media to get out there. Not the case. No, it's, see, see, I don't know. Hold on one second. Jonah, can you see me here? Nope. You've, We'll uh, edit. I'm going to re-ask the last question. So I get that, you know, in Toronto, you've got, you know, people coming and going. Obviously, if there's a story, there's a throng of media in the room, a regular day. You've now got, you know, you now have got the athletic is there. Sometimes you've got two radio stations granted in today's world. I don't know what that means. Um, I would think by nature, and, and, and this is somewhat of a rhetorical question, I guess. If I was a player or a member of the team, I would try and gravitate to the faces that I see on a regular basis, thinking that I could strike a regular relationship with them because I see those faces all the time. My understanding is there's only a couple of people who are around the team literally every day. Um, I would think that if I was giving media training, avoidance wouldn't be the best recipe that still you have to appreciate that the media are there, especially in a market like Toronto and having a relationship to both get a message out and to understand what's going on, as you said earlier on would be critical, but that doesn't seem to be going on. Does it? No, how it works also is we, I think people think like we have access to the dressing room, which we do but they're not getting dressed in the dressing room when we're there. Right. There's a separate so, room. Yeah. They're, 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 uh, they can undress and get to the back room, which also is sort of a quasi locker room kind of hangout area. And they can get there before we even get in the room. So we'll get there and there'll be sometimes zero players in the actual dressing room. And then, the media PR um, will bring out guys one by one to a board or a backdrop. And then it's the throng all in front of them. They do their talking and then they go out, they bring in another guy, same thing. Now, a lot of times it's who do we want? And they'll bring out those three players or vice versa. Or sometimes what also happens is that, the lesser players. So I'm saying lesser players, but the guys that we don't always need on a, a daily basis or whatever. So maybe your Mark Giordano will just be sitting there because what we just talked about, he's at that stage where he appreciates that, you know, in a year from now, no one's going to want to just be sitting down next to me and ask me for my opinions on the weather or the defense or whatever. So um, that would happen. And there may be it's usually the backup goalie, the veteran, and the fourth liner. And th those guys will be hanging around. But 
And, and then I'll, I'll give them credit, actually. Um, John Tavares, we generally, uh, and, and, and good on him because he knows his role as captain, that people just want to get his opinion. He he will linger uh, from uh, most practice days. And like you said, the player, the people he knows, and I, I've known John since he was playing for the Ottawa Generals and the London Knights, where I, I did features on him. Do you remember that time when Brian Burr, or it was JFJ, um, was floating the idea of um, trying to get him to sign a minor league contract to the minor, uh, to the Marlies before his draft year was up, right? Yeah, and to, to kind of circumvent the draft. I remember doing stories on him uh, back then. So you know, he, he knows guys like Terry Koshan who covered junior hockey as well back then. He knows myself, and he knows the guys that are there on a daily basis who are writing. Um, and he'll, he'll give you his time and you can ask him about, Hey, did you see that game in Chicago last night? What do you think about Patrick Kane? Or what, what, what do you think about Steven Stamkos, um, scoring us a thousand point or Ovechkin doing this or that? And he'll give you his opinions. And, um, there are guys like that. And even William Nylander, because, uh, I included him in, uh, as a chapter in the book I wrote, uh, another guy that I can talk to about. Uh, hey, how you? How's your dad doing? And things like that. So th- there is still that relationship building. Now, is, is it the same as when you know Red Fisher was covering the Montreal Canadiens and they literally treated him as one of their own and uh, initiated him into the club like a, a player? No, it's not even close to that. But it's 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 not as bad as you know. I, I give the guys who come to the NBA credit, like that. that they're really far away from the players in terms of that relationship building, unless you're uh, a media member on almost a similar level where they think, okay, this guy has reach. And I think some players are maybe savvy where they see a Pierre LeBron or an Elliot Friedman, or even a Chris Cuthbert, if he comes in before the game and wants to talk, they know that um, those guys have a different reach or also they're going to write stuff. They're not also, they're not always writing. They're just trying to get some background info and, Talking to a player with your tape recorder off versus on, uh, you are going to get different perspectives. And so there's a lot of that. And the guys who've been around and um, are savvy enough know that. But I think in today's age, and here's the other thing that's changed, Jonah, is that it used to be I had 800 words to work with for the paper. And it was just 800 words. So I could be talking to you for a half an hour. But at the end of the day, I'm only going to write 800 words. Now I could talk to you for an hour and I can run a whole transcript and put it on the web, or I could put that audio on a podcast and I, or I could just put it on YouTube or whatever. And literally everything they said now, everything you say is for consumption. Didn't always used to be that way. It, it was only, maybe I would use a quote. Maybe I wouldn't even use a quote for a story. I would just be writing a column and I, I spoke to you for an hour and none of what you said was quoted, but I wrote your opinions as my column. That, that doesn't happen as much anymore or it doesn't happen with the same sort of regularity. Now it's, I talked to you, everything you said verbatim is in there. It's going to get picked up. Someone else is going to run it. Someone else is going to chop it up and put their own spin on it. And all of a sudden it's just not worth your while to talk. If you think that every single word you say is going to get misconstrued or just published and you can't have an honest opinion or a frank conversation. So I want to be sensitive to your time, but I want to delve into that just a tiny little bit. But isn't that then if 
you have a rare opportunity with an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner and they say something to you. Let's say the recorder is on and they see it's on. But if they give you a soundbite, you still have a decision to make whether or not you're going to use it, right? Because ultimately the soundbite is a use of one and that may get you a ton of readers on one article or a ton of hits on one clip or what have you. But isn't the relationship worth more, right? Like, Oh yeah. I I've mean, got a number of examples there. Do you remember, mean, remember the Joe Thornton one? I don't know which where, one. So it was, who was the player? It wasn't Timo Myers, the other guy. Thomas Hurdle scores the, was it four goals or he had five goals yeah. in that game? Mm-hmm. And Joe Thornton famously said, if I scored five, and it, it was the whole, everyone was up in arms about, he yeah. went through the legs and beat Marty right, Perron yeah, on yeah. one goal. He was showboating. How could he do that? Yeah. And Joe famously said, if I do that, I'm going to bring up my rooster or whatever and right. give it a stroke or whatever. Yeah. And then I think it was Jason Botchford, late Jason Botchford, who actually reported it. No one else reported it. And he said, if I don't report it, someone else will. Right. And then it burned sort of his bridge with Thornton. Now, granted, right. Botchford wasn't um, covering the Sharks at that time. He's covering the Canucks. But similar things have happened. Where you're right. Um, you have to make that decision as to, do I write what, what he said, even though tomorrow he's going to regret it, or he doesn't even realize what he said or the implications of it? Or do I hold that back or massage it? And that goes back to the whole reporter player relationship. And, you know, maybe, maybe too many times that's been burned or what I just said that too many times it's just, Hey, you said it. Now I'm throwing the whole thing out there without any context. Like I remember Mike Commissaire coming to me a day after we had like, this is, this is when Mike Commissaire was playing for the Leafs. It was just a disaster on defense for them. It, it wasn't the right fit for whatever reason. He came in and it was too much for him. And he was having a, a hell of a time. And he, he had like a real honest kind of heart to heart conversation with me lasted forever. And I was like, I could really write this about how my <laughs> confidence is completely shattered. And, but instead I kind of, I kept the, I think all of his quotes out of there. And I wrote that my commissary's confidence is shattered and, Basically, it was my words, but it was his words that was telling the story, but it seemed like it was just my opinion. And the next day he came up to me and said, thanks very much for writing that. Thanks for saying, not actually attributing any quotes to me. And it it was a win for me in that regard, because fine, it could have been a little bit more explosive. I had, I had like a, my, my commissary isn't sure he can play hockey anymore. And he's actually quoted saying that versus me saying, it looked like my commissary isn't playing. Something is wrong with him. You could see it in his eyes. You could you could tell by his body language versus me actually just outing him and saying, yeah, this guy's done. He knows he's done and it's really affecting him. And it looks like this is too much for him. So th- there's examples of that. And I've probably done it the other way where, you know, I did use that quote and it, it did come to bite me, but I think those are the sort of you make mistakes along the way and you learn what works and what doesn't. And sometimes it's, you know, you you could think you're doing the right thing and it still blows up in your face. So I've promised to get you out of here. So I want to keep my word, but I'm hoping you're you're preventing me from going to the dentist. So it's not the worst thing. Okay. No, I, so I I told you I am the world's biggest anti-dentite 
if you're a Seinfeld fan, you know that that you know what that means. Um, but I will stay true to my word. I'm hoping you'll come back and do a part two because there's a lot of questions I still have that I'd love to dive into. Uh, he is Michael Trakos, formerly of, of Post Media. If you're watching this behind me, you can see his book, The Next Ones, which is a, a must read. It, it's really timely because uh, with the deadline now passing, we've seen uh, we've seen some big names tr- change teams, which is probably um, another another sign of the passing of the torch in, in the National Hockey League as the next ones are now the current ones. Um, so you should pick up his book. I am sure he is going to land on his feet somewhere in the game if that's what he chooses to speak. He's a phenomenal storyteller, as you can hear. Uh, I'm hoping you will come back so we can, can we can finish this conversation because there's a lot more I want to talk to you about the business and how you approach it. And uh, love to finish this discussion soon. Yeah, anytime, John. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck in the uh, in the dental chair. I do not envy you. <laughs> no, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Michael Trakos in the press row. I only got through about half the questions I had for Michael, so I promised to have him back soon. I really want to talk to him about the Shanna Plan administration and what they're like versus others he's covered, and we didn't get a chance to talk about his book either. Be sure to come back for that and more stories about his days covering JFJ, Pat Quinn, and of course, the O-Dog. My direct messages are open on Twitter, and you can always reach me via email too. On Twitter, it's at YYZSportsMedia. Via email, it's jonah at yyzsportsmedia.com. If you like this episode, please follow in the press row wherever you listen to your audio. If you want to advertise or be a guest, just let me know. Until next time, thanks for following. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.